So uh, this morning, uh, again, during the summer, I like to do individual messages sometimes. And uh, this morning I've chosen to look at a very uh, controversial passage, a difficult passage, a passage that, you know, because of this very same passage, Martin Luther said that the book of James, maybe it didn't belong in the Bible uh, because it was so difficult to to wrestle with. So this morning, I've titled this message, The Truth About Faith and Works in James Chapter 2. Now, uh, of course, you've got you to first see the problem. I mean, the problem is, is that James 2 seems to say one thing, and then Romans seems to say something different. And so you've got this apparent conflict. And so a lot of Christians who have been very high on the grace of God, very into the the gospel and the fact that we're saved by faith and saved by grace. They sort of fumble over James chapter 2 sometimes or try to explain it away the best we can. But sometimes, you know, our explanations fall short because of this verse and that verse and this other part of it. And it just becomes messy. And so I thought, what better way to deal with it than just dive right into it and look at it straight on and see what what we really think James is after here this morning. But first, let's lay the foundation. I mean, uh, this, is, this is smattered throughout the, the Bible, this idea right here. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Pretty simple. What does that mean? Well, we all know that what that really means is that You know, if I were going to earn salvation, there's no way I could earn it. If I were going to achieve salvation, the standard is so high, it's impossible to achieve. And so God has introduced another way. Uh, It's not an intuitive way. It's not a way that we would invent. We humans, we like to consider ourselves performers. So if we were going to invent a way to salvation, then the way that we would invent would be, you know, God, watch what I am doing in order to be okay with you. We do in order to be. And that's our way. But God's way is not our way. And so what he's saying here is that it is possible, and in fact it is the only way, to be justified in God's eyes. And that is that we're justified by believing in Jesus Christ, not by the works of the law, not by performance, not by what we do. Now, that sounds good. And we Christians, we believe this with all of our hearts because we can see the perfect and impossible standard of God. God desires, God requires perfection. And there's no way we can get to perfection unless it is freely given to us as a gift. So now we get to James chapter 2. And the question is, the question that Martin Luther asked, the question that we ask this morning is does James chapter 2 contradict Romans? Does it contradict justification by faith? If not, then how do we explain this? So, first of all, let's look at this passage. It's a very important passage. We're going to uh, take about half a dozen, a dozen verses here and just look through it. And, and first of all, let's get a bird's eye view. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith... But he has no works. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, 
Faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Now we get into the crux of it. I mean, what does he mean by works here? Here we're going to see some examples. Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works And as a result of the works, faith was perfected and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works? When she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. And this is how the chapter ends. So you can see as we read this why it's something that Christians need to wrestle with and need to work through. Need to see what they believe about this passage. And so... One popular idea, I'm just going to tell you, you know, what I think is the most popular interpretation of this passage is this. You've probably heard something like this, that James 2 refers to a lifetime of works after salvation. The logic goes something like this. People will say, oh, well, he doesn't mean works to be saved. He just means if you're saved, then you're going to do a lot of works naturally. And that is so true, isn't it? I mean, if you're saved, you are going to do a lot of works naturally. But that's not really what James 2 is saying. It's a nice idea. It's a truthful idea about Christians that if Christ lives in us, he's going to produce a lifetime of works. But this passage is actually referring to what is needed for salvation itself. Now, that's really important. And we're going to see this. And this is where we see it. First of all, we we just finished reading, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works, can that faith save him? So what are we talking about here? We're talking about some sort of mixture of this faith works idea that is going to save someone. Okay, And apparently the, 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 the faith that demons have is, is not enough. Demons believe in some really good doctrines. You know, demons could pass a, a, doctoral, a, a doctrinal exam. I mean, they could tell you all kinds of things about Jesus Christ and the crucifixion and the resurrection and the meaning of the gospel. They could pass a doctrinal exam. But the issue is, is have they made any sort of personal decision in response to the gospel? And there the answer is no. So what we're looking at here is what kind of faith decision can save a person? And so the question is, what if there's no response attached to it? What if there's no work attached to it? What if there's no 
something like what Abraham did. I mean, what did Abraham do? What did Rahab do? What if, what if you're just sitting on your hands saying, I believe, I believe, I believe, but we never open the door like Rahab did? And so, apparently, it's not about a lifetime of works here that's in focus. What's really in focus is what saves you, man? What saves you? What concoction of belief and decision saves a person? That's what's in focus. Again, we see this in this portion of the passage. And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. So apparently what we're not talking about is just some lifetime string of wonderful things you do. We're talking about how to get reckoned righteous. Secondly, we're, we're talking about how to be justified. You see that word there? Justified. Justified means being made right before God. Just like being reckoned righteous means being made right before God. So what is in focus here is rightness before God. So how do I get rightness before God? Well, what makes it tricky is this, this five-letter word works here. And so you can see why this passage is difficult. People wrestle with it. And Martin Luther's going, what? So the question is, James, Brother James, author of this letter, apostle to the Jews, what do you mean here in this context when you say works? Because we just got done reading your brother Paul who said that we're saved by faith, not by works of the law. So what works are these? If they're not works of the law, what works are they? Because now again, man, we could smooth this over, but does everybody see those three words underlined at the bottom of the screen? We could try to smooth this over, push it over in the corner. Oh, don't worry about that part. What does it say? It says justified by works. So then, with the whole backdrop of Scripture, I have to say, what does works mean here? I can't get away from it. I'm not going to talk it away. I'm not going to overlook it like most, uh, a lot of Christian teaching does. They overlook it and say, oh, it just means you're going to do good stuff later. No, it doesn't mean that. And so, popular idea number two is does James 2 refer to justification before men? See, some people will argue that James 2 is only talking about being justified before other people. And so, see, God is different. You're justified before God by faith, but then before other people, you'd better be doing stuff to be justified in their eyes. Now, that's an interesting argument, but I don't think it holds water either. Because again, the passage seems to be referring to being made righteous before God, not before men. Where do we see that? Well, again, he's asking, can that faith save him? Save him before who? Save him in the eyes of who? And then secondly, we see here that the example is Abraham is reckoned righteous and he's made a friend of who? Who is he made a friend of? He's not made a friend of you and me. He's made a friend of God. And so we see three real evidences here. Salvation is in focus 
becoming a friend of God is in focus and being reckoned righteous, being justified is what is in focus. So that's why this is an in your face passage. It's like, whoa, James and Paul got to sit down and talk this out or something because I don't get it. All right. So then what is the reality? Does James 2 say that we are justified by works? Yes, it says this three different times. So hang on before you come up here and start stoning me, okay? Because we are going somewhere with this. And I'll tell you where we're going. I'll give you a preview of coming attractions. We're going somewhere. We're going to the contextualized definition of works. In context, what does James mean by works? Because he doesn't mean the works of the law at all. That's nowhere to be found here. And he's going to very clearly show us what he means by this activity, this response, this decision called works in just a minute. But first, let's make sure that we know what we're talking about. Three times James 2 says we're justified by works. Here it is. Example number one. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? Example number two. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Example number three. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Okay? So you see this? I mean, we're not making this stuff up. It's a real issue. And here it is. And so the real question then is what does James 2 mean by works here in context? Is it a lifetime of achievement or is it something else? Now let's talk about the ramifications of that. If it's a lifetime of achievement, how do you know when you're done? How do you know when enough is enough? And here's your lifestyle. I've got seven works, 21 works, 42 works, 68 works. Am I justified yet? I don't know. 84 works, 91 works. And I'm trying to sort of survey my works and count up my works. Well, we already know from dozens of places in the Bible that we're saved by faith, not by that. That we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work. Not by something that we do for God and then count them up. As we know, Ephesians tells us, for by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God so that no one can brag, so that no one can boast. So if it were really about this counting and tallying, then we'd have something to brag about, wouldn't we? But that's not the gospel. And so the question is then, when James here says the word works, what does he mean? Does he mean a lifetime of collecting good stuff or does he really mean something else? All right, so what examples of works do we see in James 2? In other words, any good seminary professor, any good theologian, any good Bible teacher is going to tell you, don't shop around the whole Bible looking for the word works If James chapter 2 tells you 
his definition of works. You look within the passage, you look within the letter, you look within the chapter, you look at the same author, you look at the same audience, you look at the same context to arrive at a definition of works, don't you? And so, first of all, the first example is giving what is needed. Rather than doing what a demon might do in jest or in sarcasm, go, be warmed, be filled, right? Telling some person, oh yeah, uh, be blessed, right? And, and that's just sort of a, a statement, an empty belief. There's no teeth to it. There's no response to it. There's no decision to it. Secondly, who was mentioned as a second example? Abraham and Isaac, right? What did Abraham do? He took his son Isaac and he hoisted him up on an altar and set him there. Now, very important question. Did Abraham do that 17 times? Did Abraham do that over a lifetime? Did Abraham constantly offer his son Isaac year after year after year in order to collect enough works to be justified before God? Absolutely not. How many times did Abraham hoist his son Isaac on that altar? One time. So you're telling me that James chapter 2 and the Bible in general are saying that Abraham got a message from God and he decided to not just say, I believe I should do that, I believe I should do that, but he responded. He responded in belief. He acted on that. He made a decision. He went beyond what demons do. He made a decision and had a response to the word of God. And that by that one time thing, he was justified. Apparently so. Now, example number three, opening a door to invite someone in. Who did this? A prostitute did this. Man, a prostitute doesn't exactly have a lifetime collection of awesome works before God, does she? So apparently it's not about collecting a lifetime of works, but this prostitute got a word from God, just like Abraham, got a word from God, and then what'd she do in response? She turned a doorknob, right? How many times did she turn that doorknob? Did she do it 32 times? Did she do it 100 times? Did she do it year after year? Did she try to collect the turning of doorknobs over a lifetime to make sure that Yahweh would be good with her? No, of course not. You know the answer. Just like Abraham offered Isaac one time as a response of faith, so also Rahab opened the door as a response of faith, and by that she was justified. Now, you see where we're going because it's not about collecting a lifetime of works. It's about some sort of one-time decision in response to a message from God that goes beyond what demons do. Demons can cite doctrine. This is not about citing doctrine. This is apparently is about opening a door of your life. This is about offering yourself to be killed, crucified, offered, crucified, buried, and raised to newness of life. 
This is about going beyond the uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh of the gospel and getting to a personal place where you do something in response to a message from God. And so what we see, these examples here, example number one was, hey, are you going to give what's necessary? Or are you just going to cite some doctrine or cite some cool-sounding spiritual phrases? Uh-huh, 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 be blessed. Example number two, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? So instead of Abraham sitting there saying, "Uh uh uh-huh, 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 yeah, I think I should do this. I believe you, God. I believe you, God. I believe you. He stepped out in faith and responded. And he did it once. And he was justified before God because of it. Example number three, in the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers? How many works did she do? So what's that S doing there on the end? Well, I mean, justified by works is the phrase used here generically in all three examples. But I mean, Abraham only did something once and Rahab only did something once. And then she received these messengers and sent them out. And that's how she was justified. So the important thing we need to see here again is these examples of works giving what is needed. When we hear the gospel, what do we give? We give us. We say, Father, take me. I can't save myself. Only you can. And I'm going to let you do what I can't do. I can't save myself by being good enough. I can't save myself by being spiritual enough. I can't save myself by, by making enough sacrifices, so to speak. I can't save myself by cutting out the bad things and doing enough good things. I can't save myself, and so instead I'm going to give myself to you, and I'm going to let you save me in a way that I could never save me. That's giving what is needed. What else do we do when we hear the gospel? When we hear the gospel, the gospel of saved by grace through faith, what do we do? We offer ourselves to God, just as Abraham offered Isaac. We say, God, take me again. uh, I don't have anything to give you, but take what I have and make me new. Take what I have and put it on the altar. Take what I have and put it on the cross Take what I have and crucify me, bury me and raise me, make me new on the other side of this. God, perform in me a spiritual surgery in my heart because I've been trying to fix me. I've been trying to improve me. And now I realize that what you need to do is give me a new heart and start all over. You need to give me your heart. And so, number three, what do we do when we hear the gospel saved By grace, through faith, what do we do? Well, there he is, the Spirit of God, standing at the door, and he's knocking. Right? He's standing there knocking, just like those spies were standing there knocking. And Rahab could have stood at the door, hands behind her back, and said, Yeah, this is awesome, God. Praise God. But that that wasn't what her heart wanted to do. What her heart wanted to do was act in response. And so the gospel, through the gospel, God says to us, I stand at the door and knock whoever, what? Whoever opens the door, I will come in 
and I will live with them. And so there's an invitation, but there's a response. These are the things that we do. These are the sort of attitudes that we have when we come to Jesus Christ by faith. It's an active faith, not a sit-on-your-hands passive faith, because I'm actually turning to God and saying, Wow, this message is amazing. The blood of Jesus Christ is impressive. The resurrection has captivated my attention. I am interested not in looking at Jesus Christ as a historical figure anymore. I'm interested in going beyond that and inviting him to come into my experience and change me on the inside. I'm going beyond what demons know. I'm going beyond what demons believe. I'm going beyond the demons' understanding of history and what happened 2,000 years ago. I'm going beyond facts to an active faith in inviting him in. And so, conclusion here, what are we really seeing about James 2? We're seeing that James 2 is saying that an active response to the gospel is needed to be saved. That we open the door of our lives and we offer ourselves to God and salvation is way more than just believing a set of facts. Even the demons believe some facts. And so then you say, okay, well, then what is the personal application of this for me? Well, the personal application of this is if you opened the door of your life and if you offered yourself to God, then you have met the requirement of James 2 and you are saved. So then what does this mean for us in addition to that? Well, it means that. Uh, You know, we're not having to go about the business of trying to introspect and morbidly analyze and add up and survey how we're doing to wonder if we're saved. And unfortunately, James chapter two has fueled for some people. It has fueled such a fire. They are trying to get justified or stay justified or stay in God's good graces, or keep God's favor. God's favor is an unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. It's unmerited. And so we're in it, or we're not in it. And we're in it if we simply receive it by faith and say thank you. So basically, grace says, here's what grace is. Grace says, it's all free. Faith says, thank you. Very cool. So grace says it's all free and faith says thank you. Very cool. Way cool. And so that's what grace and faith are about, not a survey of a lifetime of works. And so what we're saying is, look, you open the door of your life, you've received Christ. If you've done this, then James 2 is not there to haunt you, confuse you, cause conflicts within you. It does not disagree with the Apostle Paul in the slightest The Apostle Paul was saying we are not saved by the works of the law. 613 rules and regulations in the Old Testament never saved anybody. We are saved by faith, Paul says. And James would say, yeah, I agree with that, absolutely. But we've got some Jews running around Jerusalem right now. And they're saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And then they're turning around and going back to the temple. And they don't really have an active faith and they haven't really decided they're hedging their bet. They are riding the fence. 
They haven't made up their minds. And so I am writing these fellow Jews to try to tell them that they need to make up their minds because salvation is in Christ and in him alone. And so that's why they need to have an active faith and go beyond this intellectual, yeah, 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 that's great, but I'm going back to the temple. There's no salvation in the temple. There's no life in the temple. There's no forgiveness in the temple. It is in Jesus Christ alone. And so James is encouraging them to have this active faith, which involves a decision. Bottom line, we get to celebrate this gospel that is by grace through faith. As Ephesians 2 says, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. You see that? It's all free. The gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may brag about it. Amen? Amen. All right, let's, uh, let's close in prayer together. Father, uh, there may be somebody here who has never fully understood that, number one, it is free. Number two, you paid for it. By your blood. Number three, all we can do is say wow and thank you and receive it by faith. There may be somebody here who just wants to open the door of their lives. They want to offer themselves to God and they they just want to say, Jesus Christ, if you are real and Jesus Christ, if you have been crucified, buried and raised then I choose right now to invest in you. I choose right now to open the door of my life. I choose right now to offer myself to you, to be made new at the core, by grace, for free, because of your blood, because of your resurrection. I can't fix me. I can't improve me. I can't change me. Only you can. And I'm inviting you to do what I can't do. I thank you, Jesus Christ, for this salvation, for this new life. Father, for most of us in this room, maybe we've come to this point and we've just been tripped up by faith and works and works and faith. And where does it all go together? We thank you, Father, that the gospel is never confusing, that the truth always sets us free. Father, we thank you for... This decision that we have made and the implications of it. We can't birth ourselves. We can't save ourselves, but we can simply say, yes, I want you. And those of us who've done this, Father, all we can do is from this day forward, celebrate and continue to let you do what you're so good at doing. You cause us to bear fruit. You you bring a contentment that we could never fabricate. You bring a fulfillment that we could never have within ourselves apart from you. Father, we thank you that what you work in us is something rock solid, a stability that we can hardly explain, a peace that we can't really express to other people. There's something new within us, and it's you. Father, we thank you for this new life. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen that has exception clauses, aren't we? I mean, you get the free this or the free that, and then you notice, you notice the little asterisk up in the corner. 
and then you go down to the small print and you find out it's already expired or you got to do this in order to get it or yeah you get a free trip you only have to spend 28 hours on a tour of property you name it there's always a clause there's always an exception and for many people James 2 has been their exception in the gospel message. They say, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, we got to have works, we got to have works, we got to have works. And I hope that you've seen today that God's no double talker. When he says that we are saved by grace through faith, he means we are saved by grace through faith. And what James is urging those people to do and that he would urge us today to do, that if we are not yet in Christ, to actively respond to the gospel, open the door of our hearts, and invite the God of the universe to come live within us through Jesus Christ. But if you already have Jesus Christ in you, the requirement of James chapter 2 has been met. God is no double talker. You are saved by Jesus Christ and what He did, not by what you do for Him. Now, what does that cause you to do? Man, strangely counterintuitively, paradoxically, it causes you to wake up every day with that wow and that thank you in your heart. And then the strangest thing happens. Works start flowing out of you. Fruit starts being born in your life. And you're saying, how is this even happening? Well, we're just the branch. And He's the vine. He's the vine that saves He's the vine that grows. He's the vine that inspires us. It's all about Jesus Christ from start to finish. Have a great day.